wind blowing toward right field. If Alex could find something to pull, get it in the air, he would get some help. Familia's next pitch. Belted to deep center. Back goes Lagares. And gone, Alex Gordon. In comes the pitch. Broken bat, one hopper to third. And over to first in time. Runner going to try to score. Wild throw. Hosmer gambling that he could dash home on the throw to first base. And the Royals have tied the game. For the very best in baseball, this is the place you want to be. Let's get it going on the Locked On Royals podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Ryland Stiles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Stiles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And I am joined today by the prospect guru himself, Aram Layton, who is launching the new show next week on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On MLB Prospects. And this show is going to be a daily show about prospects and the Royals have a ton of interesting prospects, including one making his major league debut tonight. So I thought this was a perfect time uh, to bring you on and, and ask you about this farm system and really promote your show. So how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, this is exciting to be able to talk about all 30 farm systems now and the Royals have a surplus of pitching to say the least. And it's cool to see, you know, one of the silver linings in this abbreviated season is that we're seeing teams be a little bit more aggressive with some of those more polished pitchers, like we're seeing with Brady Singer and some others that are going to get a chance to make a debut this year. So I, I want to have your opinion on this, or, or really the backstory on this, I should say. A daily show is hard enough. And you do a daily show every day about the Miami Marlins, and, and I do one about the Kansas City Royals and the Oklahoma City Thunder. That in itself is hard. Uh, but it's double hard whenever you invest into prospects who, uh, you know, there is the MILB TV whenever the minor league season is going, but it's harder to keep up with the farm system. What led you to decide, you know what, I want to do a daily show about prospects. How did that come about? And what are your ties to minor league baseball? Yeah, it's a great question because I, I just always had this infatuation with the young players that project the future of a team. And I think that is largely because I grew up a Marlins fan and grew up just watching the good players get traded away for these prospects that you dream on and seeing how they pan out and trying to figure out which ones are going to work out, which ones aren't. I always found that fascinating. And then playing baseball in South Florida growing up, I was actually supposed to play in college. Long story short, tore my labrum, decided to go the other direction and cover baseball instead. Uh, watched some of my good friends go through the systems, watched some of my opponents that I used to play go through and I remember just thinking, I knew that kid was going to be good. And I knew that kid wasn't going to really meet that first round expectation. Nothing against him. I just, from what I saw when I played him, I just didn't think so. And I realized, you know what? I really enjoyed analyzing each player based on, you know, a lot of different indicators. And of course, the eye test as well. And I just started to fall into that. And then as someone who ultimately wants to be a play-by-play -play broadcaster, spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. I was supposed to broadcast play-by-play -play in the minor leagues this year in the Florida State League, which, speaking of pitchers, is known as a pitcher haven over there. And so pairing that with the fact that I'll be seeing so many of these minor leaguers every day, and then there will be weekly interviews with some of the top prospects in the game from every system, including the Royals, which will be a cool pairing of it as well. 
where I will be able to, you know, get some of these top prospects on the show. And that's going to be an exciting component too, to kind of break down that wall and get a chance to really hear from these guys, especially with some of them not even playing right now and just working out on their own to, you know, kind of find out what are you doing right now? How are you staying ready for next year? Yeah. And I think that, Look, I'm going to overhype this market because I think that this market will be uh, one that your show, Lockdown Prospects, really thrives on uh, because you look at Royals fans and not only is the team down right now but and, and trying to rebuild that farm system, and they've done a good job so far of that, but also uh, fans of the Royals are from Oklahoma, uh, Iowa, uh, Nebraska, Kansas City, Missouri, and everywhere you look, there's a farm, there's a farm team there. There's Oklahoma City Dodgers, there's the Tulsa Drillers, there's the Iowa Cubs. Uh, the, the Wichita wind, uh, wind surges who have not yet to play a game uh, because this season uh, was kind of banished because of coronavirus. So uh, there's a lot of different farm systems there. So that way you get Royals fans and also fans of those minor league teams. So I hope that this market uh, will thrive for you at Locked On Prospects. And I think it's a great concept because uh, so many times you look at even the big name prospects and you don't have enough coverage of them. So whenever they do come up, uh, you've heard maybe they can be good, but not enough deep dives. And I think that that's what you're going to provide every single day uh, for teams like the Royals who are really trying to capitalize on a farm system. They're not going to go out and make a big free agent acquisition. Uh, they're just going to go and try to draft some talent. So what do you see the show becoming every single day? Well, you hit the nail on the head there because there's so much to baseball beyond the 30 teams, right? I mean, so many people, like you said, that consider themselves Royals fans because of the affiliates that are scattered all over the country. And that's on a macro scale with all 30 teams that have affiliates spread all over the country. And I want those people to be represented, right? Like They want to hear about some of the players that are making their way to their team. I went to school in Syracuse and there's a AAA affiliate in Syracuse, New York. And you know, there's some of the top prospects coming up through there for now. It was the Nationals at the time. Now it's the Mets affiliate and it always switches around like that. But they, they want to know, you know, who is this guy that everyone's talking about that's going to go right through our team and then could be the next big thing in the majors. And everyone loves to say, oh, yeah, I saw, you know, Mike Stanton play wherever or I got to see Aaron Judge play before he was in the major leagues and it's cool to be able to let people know hey this is a guy you should watch out for the other thing that I think will make this show a lot different than other types of interviews you'll see with players or minor leaguers is that you know I broadcasted in the Cape Cod League last year and had a chance to get really close to some players and as someone who just really loves to study the art of hitting I like to just pick their brains and something that I'll be adding to it is really just you're almost going to get a hitting lesson from these guys or a pitching lesson. And some of them I want to break down into detail, you know, what makes them so good. For example, Nick Gonzalez played for the Katuit Ketelers, which was the team I called play-by-play -play for in the Cape Cod League. He just goes seventh overall to the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was a walk-on at New Mexico State. He's 5'10", kind of a Dustin Pedroia type, but he just absolutely mashes and wins Cape Cod Player of the Year. What makes him so good? How is a 5'10 second baseman able to hit at such a high level? Those are the things I want to be able to talk about with some of these players instead of just asking that typical, what are the Pirates getting with Nick Gonzalez type of question? Because I want to get down deeper into that level because I know as a baseball fan, I would love to hear that. And I hope that there's more people that would like to hear that type of side of baseball and the deep inside depth of kind of what makes these guys so good. And I think another plus for your show is that it is focused on prospects and minor leaguers, and they're more receptive to interviews. They're more receptive to uh, truly answering questions until you, know, you get to the major leagues. You have all these PR staff members and, and everyone kind of 
framing the answer for them, they're more willing to give you more information at that minor league level. So I think that this is going to be an amazing show. And again, I have my hats off to you doing a daily show about prospects, especially starting it next week when there is no minor league season yet. But we are seeing a ton of top prospects get called up even earlier than expected in some cases. And one of them happens tonight for the Royals. And we'll talk about that in a second. But just an overview of the Royals farm system. If, if you could ballpark it, now I'm sure you're going to do rankings and things on your show and they can tune in for that. But just ballparking it, would you consider this farm system uh, a top 15 farm system, maybe even top 10, top five, or would you consider it uh, a back end of, of the major leagues uh, farm system to where they still have room to grow? Where, where are you going to ballpark this Royals farm system as an overview? Uh, it's a really good question because the Royals in general, I think, tend to be one of those more polarizing farm systems where you could see some people being much higher on them because of those high floor types of arms that they have th throughout that 2018 draft they were able to acquire, which I think that 2018 draft really salvaged the Royals farm system there because they hit on almost every college pitcher in that draft and we'll get into that in a little a little bit later as you said and the fact that you get a chance to get a guy like Bobby Wood Jr. really helps because the Royals are a little bit starved for bats right now I will say that I think a huge and I don't like to put the weight of a farm system on one player but with the Royals being so starved for bats and how much I like Eric Pena who just turned 17 years old has not even gotten a chance to play you know pro ball and show what he can do, but he's been in instructionals. I've seen a ton of video, and he just has such a nice swing. If Pena can turn into the type of player that I think he can be, and the Royals are able to make a couple trades here and there, and Asa Lacey, of course, is out to be what people think he can be, this farm system can encroach its way into the top 10. Right now, I think they're solidly cemented right there in the middle, right around the 15 range, anywhere from 17 to 13 is where I would put them. but the thing that the Royals have that is different than a lot of other systems is several pitchers that to me are no doubt major league starters, at least at the very worst back end guys, which we'll get into. And that's the guys from the 2018 draft. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay at home parent, or if you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair, anyone and everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily our friends over at CBDMD have a great product for you with an amazing duo that helps you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief in an easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recovery combines CBD inflammation-fighting compounds like Arsena and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And for right now, they're making it a, a very easy thing to try their great products from CBDMD that they have to offer. They're offering our audience 25% off your next order when you use promo code LOCKEDONMLB at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code LOCKEDONMLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oils and products from CBDMD.com, promo code LOCKEDONMLB, 25% off. I also want to tell you about our good friends over at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving you auto parts online for 20 years. That's right, 20 years ago, you were still probably on dial-up internet, but you could have been buying auto parts online at rockauto.com. With hundreds and hundreds of manufacturers, makes, and models, they have everything you're going to need for your car at one convenient place at rockauto.com. Look, their website is so easy to navigate, anyone can do it. 
you go there and you put in what car you have and they'll only show you products that can work with your car that are compatible with your car. So you don't need to be a car guy to know how to use rockauto.com and know how to find the parts you need. Cause there's no point to go to a dealership or a chain auto parts store because they're going to order that part that you need online for your car and then upcharge you for it. Skip the upcharge, go to rockauto.com for an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Tell them lockdown sent you. And then how did you hear about us box? So, I want to talk a little bit about this year's draft real quickly and, and to throw a curveball at you in the middle of this interview here. Um, you mentioned Asa Lacey, and then you mentioned that the Rose are star for bats. And in that draft, if you go back a couple of months ago, uh, you'll remember that unexpectedly uh, they did have a chance to draft um, Austin Martin from Vanderbilt instead of Asa Lacey. Uh, I thought that you can't go wrong with either one of them. Uh, I was leaning towards uh, Martin once, that, once he fell, but I think that either one of them would have been a, a home run pick. Where would you fall? If you were dating more, would you still have drafted Asa Lacey uh, having Martin on the board? Or uh, knowing that they are lacking bats right now, would you have jumped at Martin? That's a really good question because in general, you know, a lot of GMs and scouting directors like to say they go best player available. And sometimes I believe that, sometimes I don't. In this case, I, I believe it. I think the Royals truly thought Asa Lacey was the best player available. And there was a few reasons why Austin Martin slid. I know one of them was maybe his asking price, but what's the difference between the second pick and the third pick? And I don't know if, it was, if that was the reason why he ended up sliding or if the fact that you have Bobby Witt Jr. ready at shortstop to hopefully climb through the system quickly made the case to not really go Austin Martin's direction. But Martin could actually also play second and third. I think they didn't want to deal with that. And when they had a can't-miss type of – top end potential arm like Asa Lacey, I think Lacey was a good pick there. If you don't have Bobby Witt Jr. in the system and the Royals are still that starved for bats, then yeah, I'd be surprised to not take Austin Martin. But considering Bobby Witt being selected last year and the fact that Asa Lacey fell to them, I say fall at four because I was surprised that the Marlins didn't end up going with Lacey. And I doubt the Royals would have taken Max Meyer, who the Marlins selected at three. I understand the pick 100%. And the fact of the matter is the Royals do have a lot of pitching in this system, but not too many that have a chance to be a legitimate bona fide ace. And I would say Ace Lacey is that guy and maybe the only guy in the system right now that has a chance to be a bona fide ace. So who is your favorite prospect in this system? I mean, there's a few names to pick from, but if you had to pick one guy that, that you're willing to, to bet on and you're willing to put your reputation on, who, who would it be in this farm system? So there's two different ways to tackle that question, right? Because if I'm saying who I want to have reached their highest ceiling and who could be the most impactful player, of course, Bobby Witt's going to be that answer. And in terms of pitching, the most impactful pitcher with the highest ceiling is going to be Asa Lacey, just based on what he offers, a 6'4 lefty, 220 pounds. He was a huge prospect out of high school. The only reason he didn't sign is he had a million-dollar price tag. And this is a lefty that throws 92 to 97. He has a slider that scouts were kind of hard on him for. He comes out this spring, even though it was abbreviated and flashed 87 to 90 on the slider, and it was just a wipeout pitch. And his best pitch which it seems to be a trend throughout the Royal system is he has a plus changeup, And that seems to be the trend as you see with Jackson Coar and some other prospects. And, and that's just what they like. And I like it too. And to have a lefty power pitcher with a plus changeup, and he's six foot four, 220 pounds. 
really the only question with Lacey is his command. And to me, he's my favorite prospect outside of Bobby Witt. But Pena is right there too. So there's three guys that I can really see as high ceiling type of players that kind of balance out all of those safer college arms that were selected in 2018. So the pitching is the name of the game with this Rose Farm system. And, and you've got Brady Singer. You've got Daniel Lynch. You've got Asa Lacey. You've got uh, Chris Bubich. You've got uh, Jackson Coart. If I'm throwing all those names at you, uh, let's go Singer, Lynch, Lacey, Bubich, and Coart. How, how are you ranking these guys in terms of MLB potential? Uh, wh- where do they fall on that list? Yeah, that's, that's another really good question. And it's fun because that's a great problem to have, right? You are mm-hmm. trying to figure out which of – the surplus of minor league pitchers that are performing well are the best. And while Asa Lacey hasn't thrown a professional pitch yet, I'd say he's probably the highest ceiling. Like I said before, with ACE potential, he's going to be number one right now in terms of pitching prospects for me behind him is going to be Jackson Coar because Coar has maybe one of the best changeups in all of the minor leagues to go with a fastball that continues to add velocity. He's allegedly been, seen at as high as 99 miles per hour but I think 93 to 97 is is more accurate but if he's touching 98 99 with the changeup that he has forget it but even the 93 to 95 range with that changeup I see a Chris Paddock type of ceiling for Jackson Coar if he continues to get ground balls at the higher rate that he continues to show that's easily to me the second best pitcher in this system and then Brady Singer not far behind he's another safe arm that to me is a dark horse to potentially be a rookie of the year candidate. If some of those offensive guys underperform, that's are some of the favorites in the American league. Brady Singer is guaranteed to be a back of the rotation type of arm with the ceiling of an average number two guy. I would say safest is a number three guy, but you know how many teams would kill to have that many safe back end of the rotation, major league projectable arms. It's a really good situation. And I put Bubich last there just because of the fact that he really only works with two pitches right now. And the, the question for him is whether he'll be able to miss bats at the rate he was able to in A ball because he's going straight from high A ball to the major leagues, though he does show that polished ability. And I think what mitigates the potential risks, so to speak, for the lack of strikeouts is the fact that he is so deceptive. A heavy fastball with sink that he is able to disguise well with his funky delivery, and he's able to just induce a lot of weak contact to go with another good changeup. As I said, it's the trend through the Royal system, and I expect him to be a pretty steady and reliable back end of the rotation guy and a left-handed pitcher. There's just value there, and I'm excited to see what he can do. And he'll get the start tonight. So you just gave us what to expect from him tonight against the White Sox. Uh, But I did want to touch on him a little bit more uh, because you mentioned there he goes straight from A ball to the MLB. And I know uh, this season is is wonky. It's different. It's unexpected. Uh, But how common is it uh, that a pitcher uh, can make that leap or really any prospect can make that leap are we aren't we seeing that more and more uh, where these guys are coming up to the big leagues like 19 20 years old uh, and getting thrown right into the fire they're really there's we are seeing it more to answer that part of the question yes and I think there's definitely some commonalities in the types of pitchers that are going to make that kind of leap and it's really just pitchability right he has fantastic command he always has since he was at Stanford and he's also shown the ability 
to constantly make adjustments. This was a guy that struggled a little bit in the beginning of his college career, just with an ERA in the mid threes. And I say struggled because we're comparing it to how he finished, which was just lights out. He struggled in the NECBL, which is a second tier summer league. But I think he learned something there because he goes back to Stanford, is dominant in his sophomore season. Then he goes to the Cape League and is lights out. And it is hard to pitch in the Cape League because of just the fact that it's like an all-star team all summer. And he was fantastic there with a sub two ERA and just kept it rolling. So this is a guy that's always improving. And in his professional ball debut, again, was not as good as he wanted to be. The ERA was in the four range, but he did punch out 53 and 38 innings. And then he kind of found a balance there where he's able to pitch to contact more frequently as he moves up to high A and still punch out 110 and 101 innings. Like I said before, I don't think that he's going to get the roughly one strikeout per inning average in the major leagues, though I do think he'll have really good strikeout splits against lefties just based on his natural deception. But the fact that he can induce weak contact, the fact that he is very solid with his command and does not tend to walk too many batters, only 61 walks in 187 minor league innings pitched. That's the type of guy that you think can make the jump, right? So it's those types of pitchers that are college polished show the ability to continue to improve and that do not really have too many command issues. That's why he's a perfect candidate to make that leap. And I think he won't miss a stride in the major leagues and will continue to be the type of pitcher that will eased his way deep into games by getting early contact, weak contact, ground balls, double plays. And before you know it, he gives you six innings, a couple runs and scatters some hits. And that's a solid back end guy. If you can get that from a left-hander. So we both agree that this farm system right now is in the middle of the pack, but it has room uh, if these guys can overperform uh, to move up that ranking, of course, because uh, you did mention how safe these picks are. Uh, they're, they're not the boom or bust potential. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that you're going to get production from Brady Singer, uh, Asa Lacey, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, and, and Jackson Coart, just to name a few. You're going to at least get production. And then, and then they move up the rankings based on how well they can overperform uh, that baseline of production. But how do you value uh, the two big trade pieces for Kansas City? And that's Jorge Soler and Whit Merrifield. Uh, are these guys that can bring back prospects that will – um, help boost the Royals from that middle of the pack into maybe a top, uh, you know, uh, you know, top 12 farm system or something? Or are you looking at these guys both getting a return uh, of what you gave up for whenever you were making a big run in Kansas City? You gave up, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sean Manaya for Ben Zobrist, uh, John Lamb and, and Brennan Finnegan uh, for Johnny Cueto, uh, and only Manaya's panned out. That's the only one that really got away. Uh, how do you view the, the value of a Jorge Soler and a Whit Merrifield? It's a really interesting question because what Merrifield is a rare type of player that really hit his stride later in his career. He is not shown any signs of slowing down or anything like that. He still is probably in his prime, you could argue, even though he's, what, 31, 32 years old. He has years of control through 2023, and it's a pretty relatively cheap contract for how well he's been performing. But there's just not a lot of comps for a player that's 31, 32 with years of control and probably outperforming his contract. So I think it's going to be pretty subjective, especially given the situation at hand as to how much Whit Merrifield can get back in 
abbreviated season like this. But if you're trading for Whit Merrifield, you're trading beyond this year because I think he's going to be a guy that contributes for the next couple seasons at the very least, two to three years. Seems to just be a guy who continues to improve and hit better every year. I think the Angels are a fantastic trade partner for the Royals because we mentioned earlier they're a little bit starved for bats. The Angels are filled with bats. The Angels have made it clear that they're going all in when they go and get Rendon, when they do some other things to try and build around Trout and finally get him a chance to reach the postseason. They've struggled out of the gate a little bit. And if the season is going to go through here, that's a position you want to upgrade because right now they're starting Brian Goodwin out there in the outfield. And he's not terrible by any means, but Whit Merrifield is undoubtedly an upgrade there. If I'm the Royals, I'm going to want a pretty solid prospect in return, of course. And there's several bats from the Angels I would love. I'm asking for Brandon Marsh first because he's just a fantastic power bat, could slide right into the outfield almost immediately. And he's a great athlete, a two-sport athlete which is the trend in the angel system. They have a lot of really good athletes. And if they say no to him, then I'm going to try Jeremiah Jackson. But the thing is, there's a several players in that system that would fit perfectly in the angels or in the Royals, excuse me, system and help out with the bats immediately. And then one last player that I think could get the deal done is Jordan Adams, who was their first round pick, a four-star wide receiver committed to UNC signs away with the angels in a first round pick. And he, has struggled a little bit out of the gate, but I think he's going to hit his stride. Really, really good athlete and has the potential to hit 20 to 25 home runs. You get Jordan Adams plus another piece or two, all of a sudden this Royal system now is evening out and can now slide into the top 10. With Solaire, he's another interesting case because this is a player that struggled and was almost on the brink of, is this guy a bust? And then all of a sudden in 2019, he slugs 48 home runs. Yes, he led the league in strikeouts, but you can't replace 48 home runs if you're a team that really needs power. He has struggled out of the gate here. I think he needs to get going a little bit, but still, even with the 190 batting average, his OPS is right around 800. He could get you easily another top 100 prospect if a team is really desperate for some power in the outfield or the DH spot. So if, if the Royals are able to secure two top 100 bats and maybe a couple other fringe top 100 guys in a deal for either of those two players that's a system that to me undoubtedly is in the top 100 though you do have to account for the fact that Brady Singer will be graduating shortly and you know the beautiful thing about having Solaire and Merrifield as your big trade pieces is you you don't need to rush on August 31st if nothing happens the winter meetings are still on the table for both of those guys to be traded away from Kansas City Uh, with Solaire do you think around baseball that they might value his power numbers even more because he hit those 48 home runs in Kauffman Stadium? Or do you think that that really won't play a factor in saying, hey, if he can do that at Kauffman, if we bring him to, say, you know, a hitter's ballpark, then he can hopefully hit, you know, even 50 or something, and they talk themselves into that? Or do you think that they've all kind of averaged in the ballpark effects by now? That Honestly, I think that it helps because of the fact that he has struggled his whole career with really being consistent, right? He never hit more than 12 home runs in a season before he hit 48. So if he was playing in Milwaukee, let's say, where he got, where he had his break season, then a lot of people are going to say, you know what, maybe it's because he's playing in a small stadium. So the fact that he broke out in a pitcher's park should help his case 
definitely, because you can't discount him. And teams are going to look for reasons to try to discount Jorge Soler because it is a leap of faith to give up anything significant for a guy that's really struggled until his age 27 season. And you're going to be taking leap of faith, assuming that it wasn't a fluke. I don't think it was a fluke. I think he put it together. I think he figured it out. Do I think he'll match 48? Probably not. But this is a player that should be able to give you 30 home runs in a 162-game season for the next five seasons. I, I don't have any doubt of that. And there will be a team that decides, whether it's now or after the winter meetings, that he's the guy that can help put their lineup over the top. And it might not be a top 100 prospect for Solaire, but a team will be willing to give up a pretty solid piece if they want to go get Solaire, because that'll be the price, assuming he's able to put up at least some decent numbers throughout this abbreviated season. Yeah, and I was on 670 The Score in Chicago, and, and they kind of uh, were wondering if that season was an outlier. And look, you don't run into 48 home runs at Coffin Stadium. I mean, you just don't. Uh, so I do agree that, that he will put it all together and you can't again just run into 48 playing half your games at Kaufman uh, but I wanted to end here uh, on this note with you what do you consider being so in touch with the minor leagues and these prospects what do you consider uh, the ETA of the Royals and these young guys coming up and and not only just coming up but competing uh, and really hitting their stride together like we saw uh, in 2014 and 15 whenever all of those guys really that made an impact were within your farm system how do you view the Royals farm system in terms of getting back to competing is it 2022, 2023, 2024. When do you think that this team will have enough young guys to where nationally people say, you got to watch out for the Royals, just kind of like how they're doing with the White Sox right now? Absolutely. Well, the Royals are one of the farm systems that actually probably was a little less hurt by not having a minor league season just because of the fact that so many college polished pitchers are in the system. Yes, we'd like to see Bobby Witt play this year, especially after he struggled in that shortened little stint after the draft, which really meant nothing to me. He was just getting his feet wet, and it's a big jump from high school to pro ball. Would have been great to see Bobby Witt this year and play a full season and continue to improve. I'm sure he's working hard and getting better at an MLB camp, but that is probably one of the only players whose ETA may drop back a year. I still think he has the type of potential and type of polish to climb through the system quickly. But when you look at the rotation, I'm not saying it's going to be a white Sox type of look at these guys, they're scary. But the fact that Jackson Coar could come up this year at some point, you talked about Bubich, who's going to be up. Brady Singer's already up. Asa Lacey has the potential to be a fast climber. His only issue is that he tends to work deep into counts and not go as deep into games. The 13 and a half walk, walk percentage in conference play was a little bit alarming because the fact that college pitchers with command issues tend to not have a great track record. He's not a concern for me in that regard. And if he's able to sure up the command, he should be up by 2022 at the latest. He could even be a late 2021 call up. So by 2021 in the middle of the season, you can make the case that the Royals will have one of the better young rotations in the American league with just a, a bunch of really solid pitchers and some maybe like Coar could end up exceeding expectations and you have a really good young rotation. The question's going to be the bats, right? And can the Royals go out and get a few other bats because Pena is still three or four years out at best. Bobby Witt's probably two or three years out at best. And then after that, there's not too many impact bats. So that's where the trades are going to come into effect and maybe some other types of acquisitions that they can make for some other bats. But, you know, Solaire and Merrifield aren't the pieces 
to complement the young pitching rotation to be on the same track with your bats and your and your pitchers. It's going to have to be something that they address. But other than that, the rotation could be legitimately good by 2021, and that wouldn't be a surprise to me whatsoever. So, again, this was awesome. I really appreciate all the time that you've given this show. Let them know where they can find you on Twitter, and let them know what's coming up next week and beyond for your new show, Locked On MLB Prospects. Absolutely. So, I will be – I'm, my personal Twitter is at armleighton8, A-R-A-M-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, and the number eight. I do do cover the Marlins a bit, but also all prospects. And where you'll get most of the prospect coverage is at the Locked On MLB Prospects Twitter, which you can find at L-O underscore MLB Prospects. And that's where I'm going to be talking about all the prospects in the game, where the Royal system stacks up. And then you can expect weekly interviews from prospects of all 30 systems. There will be a schedule out so you can see when the Royals prospects who I might interview will be coming up. But first you can expect Nick Gonzalez, who I mentioned earlier, number seven overall pick in the draft will be interviewed next week. And Griffin Conine, who led a ball in home runs last year will be another interview coming up from the Blue Jays organization. So I'm excited to keep racking up these interviews and eventually get into the Royals organization so you can hear from some of those players as well. But I'm excited to be able to get this show going and I hope to have some Kansas City Royals fans asking me questions or challenging me on some of my rankings or whatever it may be because that's the fun in all of this. It's it's just a subjective but a lot of information that can be spread and I'm, I'm excited to be able to share that and hopefully – inform Royals fans that'd like to learn some more about their minor league system. So I appreciate the opportunity today. This was, this was so awesome. Before the minor league season got canceled, I was planning to have a farm Friday episode every Friday uh, and we obviously don't have a minor league system. So this, this is going to replace it just fine. I appreciate all the time. Royals fans enjoy Chris Bubich tonight as he makes his major league debut against the Chicago White Sox at Kauffman stadium. Be good and be good to one another.